Acts 20, 17. As you find your way there, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> From Miletus, he, that being Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Paul was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem before Pentecost, so he didn't have time to go to Ephesus. So he called the elders from the Ephesus church, or the Ephesian church, to come be with him. Verse 18. When they'd come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. He realized there was going to be a brutal journey ahead of him. But, don't you love it when God uses the word but? Here's Paul saying it in verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He's telling them, this is the last time you'll see me. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, that we might see you a little clearer today. Father, be able to follow behind Jesus Christ closer. Father, we thank you so much that your word lives, Father, and transforms lives. Father, we thank you for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This is the last leg of Paul's third missionary trip. His next journey is going to take him all the way to Rome where he's going to meet with the emperor, but also where he's going to meet the end of his life. He's also going to write a lot of letters in Rome there, the letter that we're reading here. Living for God is the greatest life experience you can ever have. Did you hear that? Living for God is the greatest life experience you can have. It ponders the question in my mind, am I living that life? Am I living this exciting journey with God? It doesn't always mean that it's going to be a smooth sailing. It doesn't always mean it's going to be everything's going to be rosy. But it means that it's going to be a great experience. Every day is an adventure with God. The Apostle Paul knew that. How did he know that? He lived life full throttle. He held nothing back. He was sold out to the Lord. He lived with reckless abandon for God. He was willing to do whatever it took to serve Jesus Christ. You know, in, in uh, Nashville, I lived there for a number of years in my life earlier. There was a street there called Halfway Boulevard. I thought what a strange name for a, for a boulevard. You know what? Paul didn't live anywhere near halfway. He lived full throttle. Do you know, unfortunately, the church today, a lot of times we just only get about halfway there in our faith. Why is it we no, no longer get any further? What happened to Paul that made him such an extraordinary follower of Jesus Christ? What happened to him that made him so sold out he was willing to give his life, be willing to be stoned and be beaten and thrown in jail? What made him like that? He was leaving Jerusalem to go to Damascus to arrest Christians, to drag them back to Jerusalem to try them and hopefully put them to death. He wanted to eliminate the Christian faith, and he was on his way to do that in Damascus. He had authority from the high priest to go do that. But halfway to Damascus, on that Damascus road, you know what happened? 
He met Jesus Christ face to face. Jesus came down, knocked him to his knees. Jesus Christ asked him, why do you persecute me? Paul says, I'm not persecuting you. Yes, you are. You're persecuting my disciples. Paul realized who he was face to face with. He was Saul at that time, but he realized who he was face to face with. The first question that Saul asked, the future Paul asked of Jesus Christ that day, you know what it was, right? What do you want me to do? He came face to face with Jesus Christ. He received Jesus Christ that very moment. He realized that he was the Son of God. He realized that he had been a sinner. He realized that he'd been on the wrong side of the team, the wrong side, the wrong army. He'd been on the wrong side, came face to face with Jesus Christ, and it changed his life. When you get saved, your life is changed. If you genuinely accept Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, your life is changed. Well, what happens to that change? I've seen it so many times. Maybe you have too. Maybe you had that experience. I had that experience. I, I got saved at 11 years old, served the Lord until I got out on my own. Went in the Marine Corps about 60 pounds ago. Went in the Marine Corps, though. I'll show you the pictures. Um, but I, 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 I moved away from Christ. My faith went cold. I still knew who he was. If somebody asked me, are you a Christian? Oh, absolutely. But I wasn't even living halfway on Halfway Boulevard. I was living about a quarter of the way Boulevard, maybe. But what happens to us? How is it that our faith goes cold? How is it that we seem to understand who Jesus Christ is? We have him as our Lord and Savior. We realize that they keep telling me I need to get grow in my faith and need to get, get more knowledgeable, grow closer to Christ, grow intimate, serve him, all these things. But how is it that we just miss half the faith, half the life that God has for us? And that's the sad state of affairs in too many people's lives today in America. They call themselves Christians. We only got about halfway there, and we didn't realize the whole rest of the package that God had for us. You know what that means? It means we miss out on what God has for us. Jesus Christ died upon that cross that we would have the whole thing, that we would receive and, and live in the whole thing. That take everything that God has for us. The whole book of Ephesians, you know what that's about? Christ's riches, what we have in Jesus Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about the riches. The last three chapters in Ephesians talk about how we can appropriate those to our lives, how we can live in the riches of Christ. Yet we miss it too many times. I love the scripture here, what Paul says, but none of these things moving. You know what Paul was saying? He's saying, I don't care if they criticize me. I don't care if they beat me. I don't care if they lock me up in jail. I don't care if they kill me. I want to live as Christ. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. All those things that he just mentioned a minute ago, the Holy Spirit's been telling him that there's not going to be a good time going forward. Everywhere he goes from there on, he's going to be beaten again, beaten and thrown in jail, shipwrecked. But he was on a mission. He was going to Rome to talk to the head of the Roman Empire about Jesus Christ. Talk about boldness. That is boldness when you have no fear about talking to powerful people about Jesus Christ. We get a little nervous sometimes just talking about somebody that works in the cubicle next to us or next to our neighbor. But he had a heart's desire to do whatever it took to make Jesus Christ famous. Oh, to God that you and I would have that same kind of burning passion. I want to unpack this scripture a little bit, kind of look at the scripture we just read here a minute. And I believe we can see at least five anchors that held Paul to his mission. Five anchors that you and I need to have as well that can help us in our faith. You know, a pastor's great heartache. It's another thing that we're not reaching enough lost people, but also the people that get saved don't ever really grow in their faith to where I, where I believe God wants them to grow. I'm still growing. In fact, I'll tell you this, I'm still in kindergarten. I'm excited about the rest of my educational career with Christ. I want to see great things in Him. 
there we'll never outgrow what God wants to teach us. We'll never outgrow or outuse all the gifts that God has for us through Christ's riches. We have an incredible life out there, and yet we settle for crumbs on the floor as opposed to sitting at the banquet table. He's invited us to sit at his table, and he wants us to have that relationship. Paul had that kind of relationship, but Paul was still pressing on, realizing that he hadn't accomplished it all. Five anchors, I believe, we can look at. Anchor number one, verses 20 and 21. It says, Now I keep nothing back to you. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Everywhere he went, he told us. He told us in the scripture there too. He went to synagogues, but he also went house to house. He was knocking on doors, talking to people about Jesus Christ. He was a tent maker. He was a speaker and a preacher. He had a busy schedule, and yet he still had time to go out and knock on doors and tell people about Jesus Christ. Paul was honored to be identified with Christ. He wrote himself in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Think about this. Paul had a burning passion inside him for lost people. He cared about people that were lost, people he didn't even know. He wanted to see people get saved. He had something that he realized how valuable it was because why? Because he didn't used to have it. All of a sudden he came and he, he realized on that Damascus Road, I, there was something out there I didn't have, didn't realize. And small, Paul was a smart guy. It's arguable that he was one of the smartest guys alive at that time in the Hebrew faith. He'd been schooled by the best. And yet he missed it. But now he had it. Now he had it. When a person makes a commitment to God, it ought to grip his soul. It ought to grip him down to the very tippy toes of his toes and his heart, his soul, his mind. It ought to grip your life. Is it a problem? Maybe you think that we just don't realize what we have. Could it be a problem we don't realize where we came from? And I've known a lot of folks that lived a good part of their life, 40, 50 years old, and didn't live it well. And they were really hellions, if you think about it. Good expression for it, probably. But they came to know Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden they were radically changed, and they realized where they came from, just like Paul had. They realized where they came from. But I want you to understand this. Maybe, maybe you got saved as a young person like me, and we never did any of those atrocious, horrible things that society thinks are so bad, and they are bad. So we wonder, you know, really where I go? Imagine this for just a moment. Imagine where your life would be today without Christ. You got saved early, and you come to know him, and maybe you've gone up and down like we all do as far as close to him and not close to him and back and forth. But thinking about where you'd be today without Christ, where would you be today? Been married almost 29 years, about a month shy of 29 years. I don't know that I have, I know I wouldn't have the marriage I have. I don't even know if I'd have marriage. You know, there's so many marriages out there. You know, I'll tell you what the glue that holds our marriage together is Christ. But could it be that we struggle with commitment? I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of this. Shame to say it, but I've been invited to do stuff sometimes and go someplace or do this or that. And sometimes I don't feel like doing it, so we can't. Sometimes I want to do it, but sometimes I wonder. It's it's a ways off. It's like a month from now or something like that. They asked me to do. <clears throat> I wonder what will come up between now and the next that that, that date that I'd like to do more. Am I if I commit to this, I'm going to convince. I'm going to miss doing something I like better. I don't know if you have that sometimes. And I believe we we struggle with commitment sometimes because we're wondering is that. That's the best use of my time. Was that the thing I'm going to enjoy doing the most? Was that the thing that I feel like is going to really bless me the most or bless my family? Whatever it is, we, we have all these little variables that we kind of calculate in our mind when we commit to things. Listen very carefully. 
You commit to anything for Jesus Christ, then nothing will come along that's any better. I'm here to tell you. I promise you. If you commit to do what Jesus Christ is telling you to do or asking you to do, there won't be anything better that comes along in your life. It's the best. It's the best. It's the most exciting part of life. It can be if we let it be. I've suggested for a lot of years to people, a lot of times we don't take the stand for Christ because we're not prepared to make that stand or we're not, uh, we're not aware that it's going to come. One of my favorite old Marine sayings was, know where you're going to stand before you have to stand there. Know where you're going to stand before you have to stand there. What does that mean? It means I'm hoping and praying that I meet somebody that doesn't know the Lord, that maybe I can encourage them or maybe I can reach out to them. Or I'm hoping that somebody needs a helping hand today and I'm going to be prepared to do that. Or maybe somebody just needs an encouraging word, and I want to be an encourager. I want to, I want to be that encouragement there. Maybe that person hasn't had an encouraging word in their life in months, or maybe a year. Nobody's come along and shined any sunshine in their life, and so they're just hopeless as can be, or living in despair, and maybe wondering what life's all about. God, use me that way. I want to prepare my mind to know where I'm going to stand before I have to stand there. That's what Paul was all about. He knew his mission. He knew what he was going to do, and so he knew where he was going to stand. Paul knew where he was going to stand. Let me ask you this. This is a little tougher, not being ashamed of the gospel. Would you be willing to lose a job for the gospel? Would you be willing to lose a friend for the gospel? I'll tell you this. When I got out, coming out of the Marine Corps, as I got serious about serving God and got back in church, and uh, you know what I did? I hate to admit this to you, but I used to drink. I quit drinking. You know how many friends I lost because I no longer drank alcohol? Unbelievable. I mean, no big deal. I wasn't going to stop what I, my, my commitment was. I did that for the Lord. I did that for my family. There was other things I stopped doing too. And I lost friends because of it. Are you willing to lose friends to stand for Christ? Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone for Christ? There's things that they want me to do, but you know, I just, I don't know about that. Are you willing to inconvenience yourself for Christ? Go out of your way. Stay after work some afternoon to talk to somebody that might be a little desperate for a friend. Are you willing to face powerful people just like Paul? I'm genuinely concerned about our next generation as well. The things they're dealing with right now, the things that are being sold to them as truth in the education system and on TV and all the things they're programming into TV nowadays that perpetuate uh, things that are not true and things that are not godly. Let me share this with you. Whoever wants the next generation most is going to get them. Whoever wants the next generation most is going to get them. You know, we're fighting a little bit of an uphill battle because the press, the media, the TV, all the, all the programming out there, all the little games they play on the TV with their little clickers and things aren't working to our advantage. They're learning non-truths in schools. There are people out there perpetuating things that are not true. And our children, unfortunately, listen very carefully, our children a lot of times are not prepared to deal with that because they don't know why they believe it. They believe it. They're sure that marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman, but they just don't know why. You know whose responsibility that is? Yours and mine. Our kids need to know the truth. They need to know why they know the truth. They need to know in the Bible. The Bible says it right here in Genesis 2.24 that a man shall join together with a woman. They need to understand that David said that uh, uh, my, God knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. God, they need to know these truths and words out in the Bible. Why do I believe these things? Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, and he taught, taught them everything. Taught the whole counsel of God, it says there. Whoever wants the next generation most is going to get them. Let me share one last thought with you. 
You can't build God's reputation if you're not willing to put your own reputation on the line. Did you hear that? You can't build God's reputation if you're not willing to put your own reputation on the line. The number one thing that people see to see if what you're talking about God is genuine is you. They see you. There's something different about that person. There's something different about this guy or this girl. I want that. People don't want what you don't have, okay? They want what you do have if they want it. They need to know that you're genuine. They need to know that God is real. The greatest chapters in all of history have come at a risk, at an incredible risk. Noah, when we built that ark, there was a great risk in doing that. How about Peter getting out of that boat that night in the Sea of Galilee and walking on water? There's great risk. There's great risk in being a Christian. But it's worth everything. That's what Paul realized. He was not ashamed of the gospel, and he was willing to pay for it with his life. The second anchor, Paul was consistent. Look at verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I arrived in Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. He always lived. He was always consistent. Paul wrote earlier in, in the book of Corinthians, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast and immovable. The world's looking for people that stand for something, okay? They're willing to stand and bear the cost, do whatever. You know, thank God that Moses was not intimidated by Pharaoh. Thank God that Daniel would not stop praying. Thank God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. Thank God that Joseph rejected Potiphar's wife. Consistency is huge and important. You ever get tired personally of once-in-a-timers? Or how about those that used to be yours? Or how about those that are later honors? You know, the church today, unfortunately, is filled with a lot of folks that are kind of just part-time Christians. You know, when it's convenient, I've joked with you before, but it's true that, uh, you know, we can very easily live our life one way at home and come here to church. And that folk, that, that person, that couple that shows up in the church parking lot on Sunday mornings arguing away like crazy, and as soon as they see Stosh Basari out there welcoming at the front of the oh, good morning, you know, one that's <laughs> next like this. Or how about the phone calls, you know? Your phone rings at home. And uh, there's a huge fight going, ah, ah, ah. hold on a minute, hello, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> we, we all have a way of being both ways, don't we? Nobody's perfect. And I, we all have those things, even faster. The only person I know in this world that's perfect is my wife, but uh, even she has a few flaws. What? Um, you know, the, the world's going to believe what they see, Okay. And unfortunately, too many Christians are part-timers. Anybody can fake it when they come to church on Sunday morning. People want to see Jesus manifested in human form here on this earth. They want to see consistency. That person is always, always, seems to be filled with something special. They seem to have an incredible attitude of encouragement. You know, the consistency that we're lacking, I think, as Christians many times, is we don't talk to people. We don't talk to people. We don't take time to talk to people. I've shared millions of times here, I'm sure, about how to, how to share your faith at a meal, 
when the waitress comes to the table, we always ask them, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our lunch today or dinner, whatever it might be, and is there something that we can pray for you about? And every time they make some comment, they just don't walk away. Sometimes they say, no, I'm doing pretty good. And I'll say, well, I'm, I'm glad, and I'll, I'll thank God for that because every good and perfect gift comes from God. I, I use it for an opportunity to, to pour back in them. But I can't tell you how many people have broken down at the table, gotten tears in their eyes, and some horrible thing going on in their life, or some hard thing in their life going on, and they share it right there with perfect strangers. We've known that person maybe four minutes total. And they share it. Why? Because of God. We don't talk to people enough, though. We don't ask them how they're doing. We don't take the opportunity to take an extra three or four minutes with a cashier someplace or uh, to a waitress or somebody at the gas station or our next-door neighbor just talking about Jesus Christ. We need to realize that God gave us a mouth to tell people about him, that God has called us out to talk to people. Being in the restaurant business all those years, dealt with this constantly. Do you know what the hardest day of the week is to find servers to work in a restaurant? It's Sundays. Sunday at lunchtime. You know why? And you go take a polling if you like. I've never done a poll, but I'm here to tell you, being in restaurant management for years, it was the hardest day. Why? Because the worst customers they ever had were coming straight from church. They came in dressed very nice. They came straight from church. How sad. How sad. I, 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 I learned a tip basically being as a, as a restaurateur and managing restaurants, realizing I want to bless the servers, whether they're good or not. Bless them. A lot of times because the service is so horrible, I just wanted to tell them <laughs> I want to just walk out without paying them anything. And um, my daughter is doing a part-time job now as a waitress, and she gets what they call it stiffed in the restaurant business. They walk out without tipping. But you know what? As I grew in my faith, I wanted to make sure I gave even a better tip. Most of the times, I'll leave a little track there, and I want to put a slight chunk of money, and they'll think, hey, look at that money. What did they leave me? It might perk their curiosity to see what kind of person would give this nice of a tip. I believe that Christians should be the greatest tippers in the world. Why? Even when the service is horrible, when the service is horrible, that person probably might, might need Jesus Christ more than anybody else there because they're having a hard life, and they just haven't figured it all out, and they're struggling, whatever it might be. But I believe we should be the greatest tippers because you've already had a great conversation with that person about Jesus Christ at the table. You've asked if you could pray, pray with them. You've had a conversation about life and shown some interest in there. And maybe they're the only person in the last two years that's shown any interest in that person. Maybe that person's wondering why they're even here. Now they realize that there are people out there that care. And so as you're leaving that table, you bless that server. Look what Jesus said in John 15:5. Don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If Jesus Christ is truly abiding us and we're abiding him, you know what? You can't help but see fruit. Why? Because you're thinking about Jesus Christ. I've found this a lot of times. A lot of people don't like to talk about death. You know what? I think about death every day. I'm thinking about heaven every day. One day I'm going to go there. I hope not too soon, but it may be soon. Who knows? But you know, when we ponder the idea of heaven, it's going to color every part of our life when we're thinking about that. You know why? Because I'm thinking about going home someday. My focus is up that way. So my focus is in the right direction. And because of that, the Holy Spirit's going to flow through me. And I'm going to tell other people about heaven. The third anchor, very quickly here. Paul was obedient, verse 22. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I go bound in the Spirit. He couldn't help but go. He's a bondservant. He's a slave to Jesus Christ. He had no choice but to go. Listen very carefully. Paul was not afraid of prison. He wasn't afraid of being beaten. He wasn't afraid of being stoned or whipped. You know what Paul was afraid of? Paul was afraid of disappointing God. He was afraid of disappointing God. Didn't want to disappoint God. I'll do whatever it takes, God. What has God called you today? 
What area of obedience are you passionate about in your life? I want to follow Jesus Christ here. I'm excited about this and that. I'm excited about telling people about Christ. I'm excited about serving Him. How about this? When's the last time you got excited about the offering plate in the morning? I'm excited about giving some of what God's blessed me with back to Him. Are you living a passionate life? Is your life exciting? Do you get up every morning saying, man, this is going to be another day of adventure? I'm excited to be these things. The fourth anger. Paul was faithful. Look at verse 24. It says, but none of these things move me, and nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God. But none of these things move me. He was saying, I'll do whatever it takes. Paul was determined to experience the joy of finishing the race for the glory of God. How did Paul do it? Paul did it thinking about the joy that laid ahead, just like Jesus Christ. Christ in Hebrews 2, 12, 2 says, for the joy that laid before me, I laid myself down upon that cross. Paul was expendable for the ministry, and he realized it. I'll do whatever it takes. Use my life, God, if it helps advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ in your glory. There's a story told about a missionary by the name of James Calvert. God put it upon his heart to go to the Fiji Islands. They were islands that it was back in the 18, late 1800s, islands where no white man had ever been. It was also an island that was known to be inhabited by cannibals. But he realized that God, no, who's going to tell those people about Jesus if he didn't go? So he was able to stow away on a ship that was going by the Fuji Islands. And so he told the captain, I'll pay a little extra if you'll just land me there. You can land me out in the water so you don't have to land your boat on the, on the shore there. And as he was getting ready to disembark that ship, James Calvert looked up at the captain and thanked him. The captain looked down at James Calvert and said, Do you realize that you're walking right into your own death? Do you realize that death is a certainty on this island because of the cannibals? Calvert replied this, and it's beautiful. He said, I died before I came here. I died before I came here. He died to Christ. Thank God for a man that would not be lukewarm or half-hearted or be casual with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was sold out to Jesus. The final thing, the fifth anchor, is Paul had an eternal focus. Look at verses 28 and 29. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. God made us overseers and watchmen. God made us look over the flock to understand the essence of eternity here. God expects us to deal with things in the light of eternity. What a man thinks about eternity is going to color his entire life. When we ponder eternity, we realize that we have an incredible opportunity to make a difference for eternity. Let me close with one last story in this thought. You know, Pastor, why are you sharing these things today? I said it up front, but I want to underline it again. There's too many people going to churches, too many people that call themselves Christian that are missing out on what God has for them. They might get a little bit here, a little bit there, but there's a lifetime of growing. There's a lifetime of blessings. There's a lifetime of richness, but there's also a lifetime of ministry as a Christian to follow Jesus Christ. It begs the question, yours in my life, am I appropriating, am I receiving all that God has for me in my life? Or am I living just halfway there? Am I just kind of a part-time Christian? I'm thankful this church 
has a heart to do things, has a heart to reach people for Christ. It's been the, really the, the essence of this church, this body of believers, that we're going to go outside these walls and make a difference. And so I'm thankful for that, that you have a heart to do that. But God has so much more for every one of us, beginning with the pastor here. I'll show you this last story for just a second. October 31st, 1517, a monk by the name of Martin Luther had gotten kind of sick of what the church was about. He realized by the Spirit of God that the church was not where it was supposed to be. He attacked the selling of indulgences. I don't know if you know what that is, but at that time in the church, back in the 1500s, the Catholic Church was selling prayers. They were selling forgiveness of sin. They were selling marriages. If you wanted something in the church, you had to pay for it. The amount of money you gave it meant how big a prayer you got or how much sin God was going to forgive you. And so he got sick and realized that's not the way God operates. And it was all through the, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church there. They were selling get-out-of-jail-free cards for sinners. Martin Luther posted the 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he ignited the Protestant Reformation. This is where the Protestants took a different turn from the Catholics. I don't know if Martin Luther realized that he was making history while he was making history. You know what Martin Luther was doing? He was living out his consciousness. He was living out his heart for God. He was living based on the things that he understood God's word to say. And God gave him great revelation there because he's right. And we don't need to be selling forgiveness. God didn't send his son in this earth that we have to buy it through any organization. But he started the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was tried in Worms, Germany and 1521. He did not recant. They wanted to recant. And he realized by not recanting it could cost him his life, but he was not going to recant. And this is what he said. He said, my conscience is taken captive by God's word. Think about this. What Paul said, I've been held bound by the Holy Spirit here. On this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. None of these things move me. That's what he's saying. I'm willing to give my life right now because I believe God has showed me this, and this is what his word says, and I believe it to be true. I cannot stand anywhere else besides on the truth of God's word. Martin Luther wasn't executed, but he was excommunicated from the church. He was also condemned as an outlaw of the emperor of Germany there. God is waiting for you and I to stand on his word. God is waiting for you and I to live on his word the way that he intended us to live. What a great challenge we have by Paul, the way he lived his life, to show us, to see the things he stood for. You know, I see that in many of you, too, the way you're standing today for Christ. But what would God have us do next? What is that obedience in your life that you're passionate about? 